Lee Sales here at Chat 10 headquarters where Annabelle Crabb is in quite a funk. Ugh. Oh, I'm so angry. She, you can hear, hear so her angry in the background. Look, I'm back at work. I'm Happy really, New Year, everyone. Really, Happy really New Year. responding poorly to being back at work. Um, and the main reason is, of course, I've turned up and, of course, my pass doesn't work. All my passwords have expired. I can't remember what they were anyway. I have can't you considered get... that you've been sacked? I, I know. Well, like, no one's giving me a funny look or anything, but, like, this is the ABC. <laughs> I could be sacked. <laughs> read about it in the paper. Um, so... I went through the obligatory ringing up IT help and they're just loving this time of year as well because their whole their call line is jammed with idiots like me. And I painstakingly got new bloody logons and pa- Wi-Fi passwords, which I've just faithfully typed in, already not working. Oh, my God. It's just sometimes I think that I may actually – Lose it and rampage around the building when this is. Usually, I'm bad at this stuff anyway. Usually you're very even-tempered, so I find it sort of like no. slightly disturbing when I see you get legitimately upset. Uh, um, there's been so. some very fruity language before you hit record. <laughs> at least I'm being you know, printable about it. Now, this is the first yeah. time we've met for 2019. I it's know. the first time I've seen you since early December. I've got to tell you, in amidst all of the return to work stuff, there has been one bright light on the horizon and it has been the fact that we are going to be discussing all of the stuff we've done over summer. I know. So here we are in the priest hole. I came back to work to find the other thing that I found on my desk was some PR company had sent me a lovely Christmas thing, which was like a foot long bar of shortbread, which by the time it was just like, it was like a wall of mold. I'm oh, like, oh God. God. Just be grateful it wasn't fish. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's the smoked salmon that we thought you might like. Really, honestly, it's lovely that anyone sends me anything, so I shouldn't whinge. Um, now, it, might, it may surprise you to know that I've got a plan for oh, our discussion. No, I'm um, just like, seriously, I approach this session as a sheep approaches a sheepdog. <laughs> like, I mean, I know that I'm going to be chivied, rounded up, bossed because we've got so much to talk about. My guess is that you really have a do. plan for like I do. divvying it up. Have you got a spreadsheet? I do, actually. Yeah, it's sort of like, of a, it's more do. like a just table sort of thing. Okay, I, what we're going to do is... Is your outfit spreadsheet organised for 2019? Like, uh, I mean, I'm wearing a, a linen pant at the moment and it's white, which is bold. Feel how nice that bold. fabric is. Feel how nice Sure, that's is. lovely. But it's, I mean, like, Look seriously, my legs white up. pants? <laughs> I think it's overconfident. <laughs> that will oh, have you know. Luxa on it by about... 10 past 12. My four-year-old was crawling on me this morning. Brilliant. I was like, oh, that's going to – these pants are we not even fit to leave the house in shortly. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, this is actually episode 99 of Chat. Can you <gasps> believe that? It's going to podcast like it's 1999. I'm so glad you've got to – look at what I've done to you in 99 I've episodes. Changed. Now you're starting There's from. things you don't know about me. I think what we should do for episode 99 is uh, talk about what we actually did over summer and things we did that we found engaging. Episode 100, we've got something special planned that we don't want to say too much about. And then 101 will be Crab's Summer of Culture, and that'll be your books and TV. And then 102 will be Salesy's Summer of Culture <laughs> and my books and reading. So your spreadsheet covers four I get us covered. <laughs> I get us covered See, well down the track. The funny thing is that when you were just outlining, like when you were, went into spreadsheet mode and were just outlining verbally the spreadsheet that's in your crazy mind... <laughs> Do you know that I really didn't take in anything? You may as well have been barking at me. Don't you find it reassuring when someone comes with a plan? <laughs> do you remember that great? Um, <laughs> I love how do you remember that great up. cartoon? I think it was like a might have been a Larson cartoon, and it was like things that humans say and things uh, to dogs and things that dogs hear. <laughs> no, and the human is saying to this dog. Um, 
goodbye, Ro- uh, good boy, Rover. Great work. Do you want to do this? Do you want to do this? Get feet off the seat. Don't do that, Rover. And um, things that dog here is just like is just like blah 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 Rover. Blah 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 Rover. Blah 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 blah. That's I felt like the dog in that cartoon. What I. Look, I hate to give you the floor, God knows, when you've just mocked me like that. Mm. But why don't you tell me what you did over summer and what was your favourite thing? What was your favourite thing that you did? Wow. Uh, well, I, I did something very unusual over summer um, for Christmas and that is that I went away and on Christmas Day I went to a restaurant for Christmas lunch. What was that uh-huh. like? Right? I've never, ever, ever done that before. Had a Christmas where I don't cook and neither does anyone in my family. It was weird. I was a bit scared about it because I do quite rely on cooking on Christmas Day. But um, my brother-in-law and his family uh, moved uh, to Singapore about a year and a half ago. So we took the kids over there to um, catch up with the the Singaporean cousins. So – and – I mean, I hate to sound like I'm sponsored by the Singaporean government, which I'm not, and neither are you to my (laughs) – to my direct knowledge, but like – that's an awesome place to go for a holiday. Is it? Yeah. Wow. And I really What is there to do? But we ran out we ran out of time to do all the things actually. Oh. Yeah. Um so we stayed um in the apartment complex where my relations live and you know it's super hot there obviously and there's a pool in the complex. So it was like being like we just stayed Hung around the pool, it's like being in a resort or something. It's very perfect. Yes, I know. So it was very exciting. Um, their apartment does not have an oven. Yeah. Wow. Well, I think that in Singapore, because the um, street food is so good, and there's like all these hawker centres around where you just they're unbelievably good food mm. and really cheap. So you turn up and right, you just everybody seems to be eating there. And I just we could not have prepared food. Even if there was, like, so was did it, you not cook for the whole time? You had no, a I did actually. Like, oh, I had a few. Well. I love going to um, foreign supermarkets. Like I really like going to um, food shops overseas. Just the st- like bog standard supermarket, just to right. see you know what kind of juice do people have? Right, here? what kind of you know? So yeah, we did. I cooked um, a few breakfasts, um, cooked dinner for the kids a couple of times. Because I was going to say, be curious to know cooking. what it would do to your mental state to have like a two or three week period oh, of not, not cooking. Yeah, yeah, no, it's not great. So right. I did, but. You you know, they had all these – like they had um, – you could buy big bags of baby guy lan there. Like, you know, that kind of like – it's like Chinese broccoli, spinach. It's kind of like stalky. It's right. the sort of greens that you get at Yum Cha when you order greens right. and oyster sauce, yeah. And just so delicious and tiny and baby. So – and then they also sold big bags of baby king mushrooms, which are one of my oh. favourite kinds of mushrooms. Like, you know those weird yeah. ones that are all stalk? Yeah. So good. So I did a lot of um, stir-frying – tofu and baby gailan and baby king mushrooms it was just like the slaughter of the innocents really <laughs> um but yeah so um i just ate a huge amount of hawker food basically just um lots and lots of noodles and um seafood and um laksa and god mm. so good awesome yeah dumplings and and um and going out for lunch on christmas day was jeez it was actually Fantastic. At a hotel? Or, yeah, right. at a hotel. Was so it, it was, a buffet? Or? Yeah, it was a buffet right. at a hotel. Wow. <laughs> I felt like I should have been doing bingo. Um, Did it still feel like Christmas? Uh, not really because it, it was like a whole – it certainly felt like an occasion. It didn't feel super Christmassy. Um, but like because we were catching up with 
you know, our family that we haven't. And my um, sister-in-law lives in Adelaide and my nephew who lives in Adelaide were also there too. So it kind of was like um, a, a bit of a family catch-up. Um, so it, was, it had a real sense of occasion about it. But I didn't like – I didn't kind of automatically think, oh, this is just exactly like Christmas. But it was, um, it was. Hey, I loved it actually. It was really, it was really fun. Um, I sent you a text because we have been so busy that we haven't seen each other in person since we did a show in Canberra in early December. And I texted you because I was going through Singapore Airport when you were there on my way to London and said, "Oh, we're in the same country yeah. <laughs> for all of an hour and a half." Or whatever. I if we'd met at the Singapore Changi Airport Butterfly Garden for a. Uh, Hey, your photos of that garden that you went to, that looked amazing. I saw anyone, if you want to have a look at Instagram, have a look at Chat 10 Looks 3 on Instagram or Annabelle Crab on Instagram because there were some pretty amazing photos. Yeah, look, this was one of the big surprises about Singapore actually. And um, my 12-year-old daughter and I watched Crazy Rich Asians Oh yeah, what was that like? Well, it's set in Singapore. Um, So it's like, I mean, it's like a tourism ad for Singapore. Um, look, I I'd, I haven't read the books of Crazy Rich Asians, and I've got to say, like when I first heard of the movie, I thought, "Geez, that's what a terrible title! Like it's so racist." Um, and then I was sort of my interest was piqued by Sandra Oh, who's the yeah. um, uh, she's the um, lead Day. actress in in um, Killing Eve. Oh yeah, um, which I watched all of over the holidays, of which more later. And she was hosting the Golden Globes, of course. And I saw a comment that she made about Crazy Rich Asians, which she said that while she was watching it, she burst into tears because she had not seen a Hollywood movie that was full of people that looked like her. Wow. You know, and just to see a movie that's mainstream that is entirely cast um, of with an entire cast of Asian people was something that she found so moving because she, growing up, had just never seen that. Mm -hmm. And I sort of thought, oh, Right. Yeah. Okay. No, that's um, that's interesting. And so um, my daughter and I watched it. And uh, look, it's kind of like a it's a really enjoyable movie. It's basically four weddings in a funeral, but right. like set in Singapore. You right. know, like it's rich people doing crazy rich right. things, and you know, and it, at heart, it's a sort of Romeo and Juliet story about you know star-crossed lovers. And it's uh, it, but it was great for us because we were going to Singapore, so we we're like, oh, we'll see that building, like the um, uh. Um, Marina Bay Sands Hotel, which looks like this Tauntaun, basically. It looks like a Star Wars creature. It's a huge hotel with sort of big, two big thick legs and then balanced on top of it what looks like a ship, which has got the world's largest swimming pool or something on top of it. Now, I didn't go up and have a look, but it dominates the skyline. And I had been to Singapore a bit before because Jeremy worked there on secondment about – 15 years ago. So I went there and visited, um, but it's changed a lot since then. And it seems to have been built up and all these attractions have been built, including on a section of sort of reclaimed land, which seems to be very big um, in Singapore and surrounds, um, an attraction called um, Gardens by the Bay. And it's this entirely um, uh, artificial kind of arena that's been constructed in recent years and has these big sort of domes and these huge um, sculptures that look like trees, which you'd recognise from the um, from the tourist material. But these domes are amazing. One of them is called the Flower Dome and it's um, 
essentially a huge terrarium and it has the most amazing succulent section. That's where you would have seen me kind of ferociously broadcasting photographs from because I I love a succulent. And these are just like cartoon animals, these succulents. They're so huge, you know, amazing crazy photos. cacti, things that were like Dr. Seuss plants, you know. And I, I had the loveliest time in there. <laughs> but then you sort of wander through these domes. There's other ones as well. And um, then there's a really great sort of hawker centre of food nearby. There's a kid's kind of water park where we went a bit crazy for a while. And then at night they have this light show, a light and music show, where these artificial trees that have these sort of crazy canopies oh all God. light up to um, to this a different medley of music, sometimes classical, sometimes contemporary. They had like the Star Wars theme one night yeah. and you sort of lie on your back on the ground and watch this light show. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, and look, the only thing that really shat me to tears about the whole place is that everywhere there are signs about warning, there are otters in this area, you'll see otters, <laughs> how to behave when you see an otter, don't rush it, you know, don't hug it to death, etc. And so that really uh, built me up into just just bizarre levels of hyper excitement. And uh, ask me, did I see a single otter while I was there? No, you did not. No, I did not. And Do I was cross about that. What the pleasure is, I find, of um, being on holidays. I mean, this sounds so obvious, but most of the time in my life, I'm thinking, okay, I have to get from here to here. I've got two hours allocated for this. I've got, you know, blah, blah, blah. What I loved when I was on holidays this time around was I really didn't have anywhere that I needed to be. And I very carefully kept almost nothing in my diary. Mm. And so I was able to just um, potter around. But also the issue of time is very much in my head because one of the things I went to five times in London, it was free, was an exhibition that was in Sydney a few years ago called The Clock by Christian Marclay. Did you go to that by any chance? No. It was a museum of contemporary in fact, art. I would love to hear more about it because I've got vague, sketchy memories of it. But um, so I, and saw I remember it reading Sydney about too. it a bit and thinking, I must go and see that. And then, of course, I didn't. There's an awesome article um, in The New Yorker. We'll put the link on chat10looks3.com along with everything else from this episode. Um, it's um, basically video art. It's by an artist called Christian Marclay and what he has done, it goes for 24 hours on a continuous loop. It's um, shots from films of watches, clocks showing the time oh. and every minute of the day there is a shot of that time. So 11.09, 11.10, whatever, and it's it's fit. So when you're watching at 11.15 on screen is action no. from 11.15. And so when you and go so in. shots on screen for a minute? Well, there's multiple films have 11.15. Right, okay. Like so sometimes. Oh, yeah, I, mean, I can think of at least three just <laughs> off the top of my head. Sometimes, say, for example, midday, yeah. that's very – and midnight are yeah. very – important times. 9am is a really key time. 3pm is a really key time. Um, Other times um, in this piece in the New Yorker about it, they talk Mm -hmm. about the difficulty when they they finally have realised, oh my God, I think we're actually going to, he hired six interns to find shots and watch a squillion films. Um, You'd get to it, like you'd have every minute covered, but you wouldn't have 5.23am and you'd be sifting through and then someone would find a second shot of 5.22am and just how devastating that would be. Anyway, Uh. you... When I went to see it I'm in feeling, Sydney, I'm feeling really anxious now. Just- mate, it was it's it affects you in so many different ways. Um, when I went to see it in Sydney, it was partly just curio- curiosity the, for the first viewing because I wanted to, I just couldn't believe that really yeah, you can you fill can up 24 yeah. hours and you can find a shot to cover every single thing. And so you watch it partly as just a marvel of just 
the work that has gone into it to find all of these shots. But then also, again, just watching it on a technical level, the audio edit is brilliant because you can imagine how jarring it is when you're changing multiple shots from a squillion different films all the time, but the audio is edited really seamlessly so it sort of carries you through. Um, But then once you've watched – I think in Australia I went for like an hour around 2 p.m., so in London, I was trying to just go at completely different times to see different bits of it. Wait, how many times did you go back there? Five. Um, oh it was at the Tate Modern and I was staying near there. Yep. So if ever I just had a spare hour, I thought oh. okay, I'm going for the 9am or I'm going at 6pm or whatever. Um, the thing that's fascinating is when you first get in, it feels like it's going really slowly. You never yeah. need to look at your watch, of course, because it's all up there for you. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's 11.51. The thing that's fascinating is there's no narrative because – It's a ton of different films cut together. But nonetheless, at 10 to the hour every time, tension starts to build because it's just such a device to hit the top of the hour. And so you always get tension and then there's a sort of resolution of the tension at the top of the hour. And then bizarre little themes emerge like in the – early evening it's just a series it's woman after woman after woman being disappointed by a bloke who hasn't shown up at home or where he said he was going to show up <laughs> wow i never thought about that yeah different times of the day would have different patterns. different things yeah. yeah um there's a lot of journeys that start at the top of our like trains and stuff like that i really want to go to like the middle of the night apparently it gets pretty melancholy like sort of between three and oh, five yeah, a.m of course yeah. um anyway it film was taxi um what, what was that film that had Winona Ryder in it and Night on Earth where they're all taxi drivers know. driving around Bet different you that cities been at different for some stuff. Oh god that would have been rich. Now I'm just sitting here thinking what other what other films would be good. Oh it, I am so You'd go for play school wouldn't you? Like play school would always help you out. You know I was watching something the other day I forget what it was and I've just as soon as someone's looked at their watch I've gone I just clocked it for like you know yeah. oh, 11:17 that would have been a good one to get yeah. you know. So oh, no. but it's also then it's also you're watching it for things like <laughs> you know because it say at 9:10 you see a shot of Jack Nicholson in One Flew Over the Cuckoo Nest. Yeah. But then at 9.17, you see Jack Nicholson aged 50 years and as good as it gets. And so you're getting this meta sort of thing about time oh. and the passage of time. But then it's also things like you're watching because there's no beginning and no end. So people can come and go as they choose. There's no set limit to how long you're allowed in there. And so then it's the thing about how many people leave at the top of an hour, oh, on right, the quarter yeah. of an hour. And so I was thinking, well, I don't want to be obvious. I want to leave it like 5.22. Yeah, it's but like then- choosing the second cheapest wine on the uh, totally on the wine list. <laughs> exactly but then it it's really difficult to leave because you keep just thinking oh just one more shot and so yeah. then you're doing things like okay next time I see an actor that I know then I'll leave it that and so that's all really fascinating even by the fifth time I found standing in the queue fascinating because how long is it going to take what are people doing to pass the time are they getting impatient what what effect it makes you really uber conscious of time so and the passing of time physically the actual is it like just a screen or is it's it- a big screen they've got Christian Marclay's imposed all these rules about how it needs to be done. It has to be done with these IKEA three-seater couches. So you often get plonked in with – because people often go as a couple, so yeah. then you've got to split up and oh, stuff. Right, right. Um, and there's no rule. You can stay as long as you like or mm-hmm. as short as you like. So on some days when I would go, there'd be, say, like, you know, 10 a.m., almost no queue – 
2 or 3 p.m. you might wait for 45 minutes. A friend of mine in London tried to go. They just did it overnight. They don't do it overnight every night. They just had their monthly overnight for it. And um, she tried to go late at night and it w- she was there for like two hours and the queue was going to be at least another hour and so she wow. gave up at about Before 1 Before you get a seat. But you can yeah. still see it from where the from- – No. Oh, no. what? You can't see it till <gasps> you go in. So people are just waiting outside. So that's almost becomes part of the art. Anyway, I just – I think it is just – brilliant and it's coming to acme in melbourne oh, next month fantastic um yeah i just i highly recommend it it's, it's just a really enjoyable thing and i just found the more time i spent at it the richer it became Isn't interesting when um works of art become um attending them becomes almost like a performative piece in itself oh, like in the yeah. rituals that you go through see knowing you and your um schedule as i do For someone like you, no matter what this show is, the capacity to go five times to the same place must be like – Almost erotically exciting for you. That was off the chart. <laughs> that was off the charts for me to go. You know what? I have nothing on today. I'm going to catch the bus up somewhere and do X, Y, Z, and then on the way home, I'm just going to jump off at Waterloo and walk to the Tate and go and sit in that for 45 minutes, or for as long as I feel like. But that was actually just unbelievable for me. There was one day where I went there, my friend had lent me her members card for the museum. So I just went to the members bar, had a gin and tonic, sat and looked at the Thames for like, you know, I don't know, an hour and a half and then thought, yeah, I might just go back to the clock. <laughs> so I just wandered back in. Like it was just anyway, it's just made me think so much about time and how we use time and particularly cuz my job, you know, yesterday I said to Mick the floor manager, did you did you did you please tell me that you did a selfie of yourself with 7:30? <laughs> I you didn't. didn't. But I you totally absolutely clocked it. That didn't even cross your mind? No, what an idiot. Like, I've got to do it in Melbourne, of course. Um, oh no, God. I think like, the latest I was there was about seven. Someone okay, from the ABC publicity Melbourne, department sure. is actually on their way up here oh. with a baseball bat. <laughs> oh, that idiot. is just so funny. Um, I was going to say, I said to Mick yesterday, I'll see you in 12 minutes. And I just thought that because that is how my job is programmed. It's programmed to the minute with yeah. everything. And so, anyway, I, I loved it. Um, there was a couple of other things that I saw in London because I've been to London lots of times. It wasn't like I had to go racing to Westminster Abbey and do all that yep. sort of gear, so I could just plonk around and do yep. things that I hadn't done. So I went to the V&A. Um, oh, I love the V&A. Fantastic. And I just went to things that I didn't go exhaustively through. I just thought, all right, I just want to look at design, British design yep. from the 50s onwards, yep. blah, 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 jewellery. Um, but the thing that I really loved was they've just opened a new photography, two sort of long skinny rooms with right. um, photos. And whoever's curated, it's done a great job. It's obviously nowhere near their whole collection. It's just a sampling of stuff and they'll rotate it. But there was um, a couple of things that I adored. One was a photographer had gone and stood at a really busy intersection in New York City and had looked at at peak hour every day, like in the morning commute, and he had scoured looking for the same people every day (gasps) to take photos of how we act like ourselves all the time. And so what? how good is this? And so they had like it was two shots of the people, clearly on different days, doing the identical mannerisms so there was a guy who was like smoking and he was looking up sort of in the same direction with exactly the same hand in different clothes different weather there was a woman who was just standing like with her face into the sun you know different outfits another young girl who had the exact same smile on her face didn't know these people did not know these people just stood there looking for the same people and and the shots and framed the shots identically on different days and it was just so brilliant about 
how we just act like ourselves. It was what fantastic. Amazing idea. Absolutely fantastic. The other one in that room, which I loved, was um, a photographer had set up his camera. Uh, clearly, I thought it looked like it was on a tripod. Um, and it was a bus stop with two sort of benches and people yeah. waiting for the bus. And then he'd obviously been whacking off photos with rapid shutter speed cataloging the people's reaction as they realised someone was taking their photo. And so you're seeing all the people in the shot at, in every frame. There was probably 48 frames that, that went. And so it's the sort of looking curiously and then saying to the person next to you, I think someone's on? taking a photo, someone puts a paper in front of their face, someone gets up irritatedly and walks away. And so it just follows the whole thing. And then it ends, I think, with the benches empty or nearly empty. Um, and it was just, again, like just such a great um, idea. So that was just. Um, wonderful as well, and the other. I love highlight- that idea. I love that idea that with like this kind of hyper kinetic world where there's so much content and so much, you know, people doing amazing original things. Like just to turn an eye on what humans are like oh. at the most mundane moments of their lives. I love like documentary moments, photography like that. Yeah. You know, can you, you'll see like say someone will have gone through the American South in the 60s and just filmed a family having dinner. Yeah. It's great because like, yeah. it just now it just gives you such an insight into yeah. that era. Um, but, yeah, the commute one in the morning was just absolutely fantastic. Imagine how thrilled you'd be if you were the photographer and you hung around oh. and, like, you finally, you know, nailed it. Imagine how devastated you'd be if you slightly buggered oh. it up, like, just slightly. I remember in the um, – Well, what if what if your theory wasn't right? What if people don't act like themselves? What if that What if that guy who had a smoke didn't go the same angle every day, you know? I know, right? You'd be like, do it like you did yesterday, <laughs> yeah. you chump. Yeah. Um, in t- the 2007 election campaign – I remember um, <laughs> I think I was on um, – I think I was on Kevin Rudd's bus. Anyway, either way, um, we went out to this Central Coast huge shopping centre in outside Sydney called um, Erin Affair and we did, you know, walking around and meeting, meet and greets and kissing babies and stuff. And then while we were there um, – he went. Uh, Kevin went to a, um, you know, a fruit and veg shop and posed with some amusing vegetables and did all the stuff that you know they do to look like they're being normal when actually they're in the middle of some sort of thirty-strong, heaving crowd of photographers elbowing each other. <laughs> it's very not normal. Um, but while we were there, we got the um, tip that Howard was coming to the same shopping centre at the same like later that day. And it just seems so hilarious. It was just a it was a total scheduling snafu. You know, they just hadn't realised. Obviously, both um, campaigns keep their locations really, really secret. And even usually, the journalists on board their buses don't know where they're flying right. to or going or whatever. But anyway, what are the odds? Anyway, so I thought I might just hang around at the shopping centre, wait for Howard to get here. How hilarious would it be if they kissed the same baby? Oh. Anyway, so hung around, hung around, Howard turned up, went for the street walk, you know, in a different section of the shopping centre. And sure enough, there was this mum there with this little boy called Austin, who was about two or three. And she took him up and Howard... Fantastic. Like, so they kissed the same baby and then... Did you have uh, shots of both? Yeah. Oh, so awesome. on the front of the Herald the next day, we had this, you know, <laughs> like... Um, so good. This seems like you know, cruel and unusual punishment for this poor three-year-old. 
<laughs> That's awesome. I mean, that election campaigns, it's, it's not, I guess, documentary photography in the sort of style we're talking about where you're just shooting everyday life because you're shooting prominent people. Yeah, so yeah, it's different. yeah, yeah. But I do love all those little – I mean, Andrew Ellinghausen's fantastic at it, capturing the moments yeah. that – Everyone else is looking at the big picture, and you're looking at everyone's feet or something completely different. I loved different. that. Um, well, Andrew is the one I think who who got that shot of Julie Bishop's feet, yeah, you know, and the shoes, which sort of encapsulated a moment. I mean, he's um, we're very lucky to have some great political photographers in Australia, but um, Alex is certainly um, uh, a genius, and he he wrote that piece in the Herald. I think I've sent this to you before about. Um, about the discipline of photographing the same people every day yes, it's a great in the piece. same place. Yeah, and it's fantastic. He writes about, he's a great writer actually, he writes about how um, he comes to look for these tiny little ticks and the things that make these politicians that he photographs every day unusual. And he talks about um, how sometimes there are these rarely occurring um uh, photos that it's hard to get, but uh, which are always rewarding. And he said, like the Tony Abbott wink. He said it's like <laughs> it's more of a vibe thing. You can sense it's coming, and then when it comes, it's so you fast you can it. miss it. So um, if you ever manage successfully to photograph the Tony Abbott wink, you always go home and feel happy. Actually, yeah. we did a story with him last year on seven thirty, um, and we interviewed some of the pollies about yeah. when they see the shots that he's taken of them, and it's it's well worth having a look at because it's really interesting. Um, just um, before we run out of time, the oh other God, are we out of time already? Because I've got a sculpture on. To tell you about. So, if you're going to move on thought. from visual arts, yes, no, no. well, sort of, um, yeah, quick, okay, quickly tell about. Oh, quickly, quickly, yeah, quickly. Um, in Changi Airport, in yeah. Terminal Terminal One, there is the most incredible sculpture which yeah. I um, could have sat and watched forever. Yeah, it's called Kinetic Rain. Yeah, it's made up of um, twelve hundred bronze droplets so like they're about um about the size of a cricket ball but yeah. with a kind of like a droplet tail and they're suspended on sort of cables and they are they're all hung together they're perfectly arranged on the end of these cables and they're all hanging at exactly the same level oh. right but then what happens is the cables are on pulleys so they've programmed this collection of 1200 bronze droplets that are very shiny and bronze to rise and fall in a coordinated way. So like there'll be something that looks like a wave where oh. they're all rising and falling in this beautiful wave. Oh, that sounds fantastic. And then sometimes, I mean, it just keeps changing. Sometimes they'll all um, rise to different levels so it'll be a perfectly organised but three-dimensional sculpture with depth. Oh, of, God, that sounds and fantastic. Then, and then there's one where – they're all um, suspended to different levels so that all of a sudden, put together, they look like a plane. Oh. And then, honestly, it was just the most miraculously beautiful thing. Is it on a cycle and you get back to the start if you I watch it long so. enough? Right? I think so. Right. Um, but we were just absolutely captivated oh, by God, it. The that kids just brilliant. completely love it. And it, anyway, look, I mean, I love airports that – um, I mean, this would have been a bloody expensive piece of art to put together. But Perfect thing to do too because you're there yeah. for so long, you know, like how pleasurable to actually be able to look at something like that. Yeah, it was made by an organisation called Artcom, which is like a collaborative group. And I just, yeah, I 
I really rate airports that spend money on art. Canberra, yeah. Canberra Airport is pretty good too, actually. There's some it's beautiful sculptures there. It's a great place to go Do for you know a walk around. what I love around. about Canberra Airport? The toilets, public toilets are designed so that after you've washed your hands, you don't have to touch a single thing. You don't have to touch the door to open it. You just can – you don't have to touch the hand thing. It's great. That is um, not something that, that I have That description of the lights suspended on mm. the thing reminds me of um, – in London, we had a London Chatters catch-up and we had one in Paris too, which is absolutely fantastic. Anyway, this really nice girl at the London one said to me, hey, if you're looking for something to do, you should go and sit in the reading room at the Welcome Museum. I've right. never, never heard of the Welcome Museum. Right. Um, and it's a museum of, as you often find in countries like um, or cities like London and New York, there's been really super rich people who've had the money to indulge a particular narrow interest. Mm. And so this guy's narrow interest <laughs> was medical history and mm. history of medical instruments and medical techniques and stuff. So this museum is built around his private collection of stuff, which is sort of creepy and disturbing I found but but interesting but on the top floor they've got the most gorgeous reading room with these beautiful lights sort of suspended over it and Mm. old armchairs and the books there's a collection of books there not a big one but they're all just about anesthetic and psychology and blah 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 Um, but you can just plonk in there and sit for as long as you like and read and it is it's just the most gorgeous room and it was the most brilliant suggestion for this person to give me so I really appreciated it. I ended up there because I'd been um, in the neighbourhood at the British Library which oh, I'd never been to before. Yeah, right. Oh my god it was just for people of this who are fans of this podcast I really it just would make you so happy. The first thing I realised is how um, I just feel happy and secure when I walk into rooms full of books, whether yeah. it's a bookshop or a library, because yeah. it just feels like all my people and my yeah. things. Um, and the British Library, I mean, I know this sounds completely obvious, but oh, my Lots God. Lots of books? No, but no, the stuff they've got. Yeah. Because it's not just, you know, all the books. It's it's papers of famous people and yeah. stuff. So I did the tour, um, which was just me and a family of four from America, which was great because meant I could ask lots of questions of the guy taking the tour. So, I mean, it, the library in itself is just a magnificent and amazing logistical feat. And I also highly recommend, if anyone's in Washington, the Library of Congress public tour is all also right. brilliant. But then you go into this area where they've got public treasures of the British Library <gasps> and uh, <laughs> I just – you, it's hard to explain how amazing it was because you'd be looking at it and just going, oh, wow, they've got like Bach's actual personal notated manuscript of, you know, X, Y, Z, and then next to it would be a Beethoven one and then Mozart one. You'd go, wow, that's pretty amazing. Then you'd move along and then it'd be – so they'd have the music bit and then they'd have like the literature bit and you'd go – Shit, they've got like draft one of persuasion with Jane Austen's like, you know, crossing out. So you'd go, wow. And then you'd sort of move along next to you'd go, it's Oscar Wilde's letter from prison to his lover. And so you're sort of moving along and it's like, and then it's, you know, Ian Fleming's first draft of novel one of James Bond. And so your mind is just getting blown constantly. Then then you get to, um, they had like Beatles lyrics scribbled on the back of envelopes and stuff like that. Oh, they had the dish it. that penicillin was discovered in. So by the time you're sort of getting around, I think after about, you know, the 10th thing like this in a row that I've seen, I was like audibly just going, oh, I, I just, I couldn't contain myself. <laughs> the family of four from America going, I think she's a little. It was, know. I could not believe the stuff that they had. It was, it was Absolutely mind-blowing. And then just to make it even better, because I love cats, their sort of temporary exhibition was Cats of Literature or Cats in Literature. Oh, my God. And so then uh, it was like – and then so they have – I don't you know, know you like cats. 
Oh, I love them. Really? Uh, they had, yeah, they had um, like T.S. Eliot's draft of um, oh. Mungo Jerry and Rumpelteaser from Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats and he sent it to a friend's daughter and then she's, and then they've got the, and so it's got a very charming letter from him about, oh, I do hope you like the adventures of these cats and then she's written back and she's drawn a picture of the two cats and then they've got audio that you can click on of T.S. Eliot himself reading Macavity the Mystery Cat and it's just, oh, my God, it was just the greatest day ever. Wow. It was so good. And then I just left and went back to the clock. <laughs> it was so great. It's funny because as when you were telling that story about queuing up for the time, the clock thing, I was remembering um, in Canberra about, I think it was about 15 years ago, the um, uh, the library had a um, an exhibition of great treasures of the world's libraries. It was the most mm. amazing blockbuster exhibition. And it was so popular. People came from all over Australia. And in the end, like when the – it was so oversubscribed, like people were queuing up for hours and then eventually they had to open it through the night. Like they oh, were opening wow, it so that people so could. Popular. Yeah, oh, that sounds and it was awesome. just, I remember thinking just the process of getting in there was so amazing, but also the thrillingness of having so many people be blown away by these amazing treasures was just like such a great feeling, That's just brilliant. knowing that it was doing so well. That's and so loving good. It. Anyway. knows there's a blistering array of ways you can keep in touch with Chat 10 Looks 3. We have a website, we have a Facebook page, we have a Facebook group, we have Twitter, we have Instagram, and thanks to Chatter Anne in Newcastle who kindly drove injured racing pigeon Gary home to Wollongong last year, we have the makings of a promising delivery pigeon service. But what if you just prefer to be spoon-fed? Well, we at Chat 10 Looks 3 say... Fair enough. So, we've bullied the funniest person we know, Miranda Murphy, into pulling together a fortnightly newsletter for us. It'll point you to great reads, funny internet things, a small but eclectic section written by sales about musical theatre because she whined so much, and of course, my unmissable regular bulletin, Remarkable Roots. It has all the details of upcoming shows, some terrific recipes, and it's all written by Murph, so you know it'll be hilariously cruel to both me and sales. What have I missed? Oh yes, it's completely free. Sign up now at www.chat10looks3.com. 